while we've been in a series called Soul Shift. We looked at what it looks like when we begin following the Lord and we give him unrestricted access to our lives. We begin to look at what that journey uh, is and what it looks like for us. We've looked at me to you. We become less self-centered and more others-centered as we walk with the Lord. We looked at servant or slave to child, what it looks like. We begin to view ourselves primarily in relationship to God as our Heavenly Father rather than just viewing ourselves as a servant or a slave and how that changes our perspective on everything. This morning we're going to look at seen to unseen. This is a shift in values from embracing things which are temporary to embracing things that are eternal. Remember the words of Jesus to Dowling Thomas? He said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Now, I don't think this is as much a rebuke to Thomas as it is a word of encouragement to all those who would come later. That includes us. We are all blessed when without having seen the risen Lord for ourselves, we nevertheless believe in him. And it's simply because of the faithful witness of those who did see our risen Lord, their faithful witness down through the ages and down through the generations that we are here today, believing their testimony. And there's plenty of evidence in scripture but there have been faithful people from generation to generation that have brought that eyewitness account to us today and they're living their lives. They've staked their lives. They stake their eternal lives on the fact that that witness, that testimony is true and it happened. People of faith believe in God, though we can't see God with our eyes. We did for a while when he came in the form of flesh, and his name was Jesus. We believe in heaven, though we've never been there. We believe in prayer, even though we can't scientifically prove that it changes anything. The Bible has a lot to say about faith. It's the core of our Christian witness. Those who have it are said to be spiritually mature. But what exactly is it? Zacharias Jansen, he was a Dutch spectacle maker. And he's associated with the invention of the first optical telescope and also a, a compound microscope. And prior to the invention of, of this profound yet simple device, the microscope, scientists believe some things about the human body that really seem silly to us today. Their diagnosis, practices, and cures were primitive and sometimes even frightening. But the invention of the microscope brought new possibilities because it revealed previously unseen realities. The human body at the cellular level, the one that we can't see with our naked eye, is very different than the physical body that we can see, that I see sitting in front of me this morning. The microscope allowed us to see the unseen realities of the body. In a similar way, the telescope allows us to see the unseen realities of the universe. Some of my favorite pictures are of our universe taken by the Hubble telescope. We have a favorite place here and I like to go. It's a place on a, on a lake. It's a bed and breakfast over in, over in Maryland. It's, it's, it's 
near a place called McHenry at Deep Creek Lake. And while sitting around the campfire there one night, I got to meet one of the guys that worked on the Hubble telescope and made that possible. And that was just an added little thrill to me. But I love the pictures that it takes. And this shift from seen to unseen is like this. It allows us to see things in the spiritual realm that have always been there. They are just as real as the things in the visible world and even responsible for the condition of the visible world but remain invisible to those who can't see them. And as we return to our story of the disciples following Jesus there in the book of Mark, along the way we're told of a time they entered Jericho there in Mark chapter 10, verse 46, and and right after one of their arguments about who was the greatest among them. And alongside the road was this blind beggar named Bartimaeus. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Shh, 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 don't bother, don't bother, don't bother Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There in Mark 10, 46, when Jesus heard him, he, he called Bartimaeus over and asked the same question he had asked his disciples earlier. What do you want me to do for you? Verse 51. And the blind man's answer was very different from the disciples' answer to that question. He said, Rabbi, there in verse 51, I want to see. And in that moment, Jesus healed him and immediately he received his sight and began to follow Jesus along the road. Now, in the New Testament, blindness is a powerful metaphor for what is wrong with us in our natural state. We are spiritually blind to eternal things. The healing of blindness is a metaphor for what God is trying to do in salvation and in our lives. In the Gospels, blindness is never just physical, but it's spiritual as well. Earlier in Mark chapter 8, verses 18, Jesus had asked the disciples a question. He says, do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but but fail to hear? Do you still not understand immediately following that conversation chapter 8 verse 22 of mark he healed a blind man while his disciples continued to commit one blunder after another so by the time bartimaeus was healed of his blindness and joined jesus on the way there were the disciples who had already followed Jesus now for two years, but were still blind. And here's Bartimaeus, who had followed Jesus only a few minutes, but now could see clearly. But you have to understand, when Jesus was teaching and when he was on earth, through his teaching, and then miracles that would ensue reinforcing his teachings, he did that so they would understand his mission. And so they would see things with their spiritual eyes. This shift from seen to unseen is like being healed of blindness to those things that are eternal. Now it goes beyond just believing in things you can't see to seeing things because you believe in them. Most Christians say they believe in things they can't see. That's like a blind man saying he believes in the world around him even though he remains blind. Instead, when we are cured of spiritual blindness, we we fix our eyes not on, Paul said it here, this in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God awakens our spiritual senses 
for discerning his activity in this world. And we see his fingerprints everywhere. Paul again says in Ephesians 1.18, Paul prayed that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. God has given us two sets of eyes. One on our face to see what's happening in our visible world and the other in our hearts to see what is happening in the invisible world. And opening the other eye doesn't change anything in the visible world. But it does explain and reveal a completely different set of realities that can teach us how to live in the visible world. Faith is the capacity to see what is already there. Let's look at Elisha just for a little bit. I love this story. He, he once found himself the, 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 the subject of a very intense manhunt by the king of Aram who ha- had it in for him. He was just out to get him. And so this, this story is in 2 Kings chapter 6, there beginning in verse 8. And one night, while Elisha and his servant were sound asleep, the king of Aram discovered their whereabouts and he hustled together a, a posse and, and he sent horses and chariots and a strong force to go after him. All one little prophet, I mean. wonder what he was afraid of. And by the time the morning came, the, the king's men were all in place. They had, uh, they had completely surrounded the city. And as the sun was rising, Elisha's servant uh, went out for his morning walk. The air was chilly, the sun was chasing away last night's fog and the servant felt alive. Then all at once, he lifts his head and he sees them. They were up in the hills, lining every road out of town. They were armed to the hilt. They were mounted on horses. They were awaiting their command. The servant panicked and so he runs back to Elisha and by the time he he gets there, he's out of breath. What are we gonna do, what are we gonna do? The king's soldiers are crawling all over the place, Elisha. They surrounded our entire city and there's no way out. Remarkably, Elisha was not panicked at all. He calmly told the servant to not be afraid because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, what on earth could he mean? I mean, Elisha, don't you understand what's happening? And the servant was sure that Elisha had not grasped the seriousness of the moment. Or perhaps he had already calculated some way out. Yeah, Elisha, he's he's already got this all figured out in his mind. Maybe he's just living in denial. Still, they have no way out. And as soon as he saw the army, the servant was sure that Elisha would understand the imminent danger. Well, of course, fear is our natural response whenever we see something like the servant saw. Uh, It's the result of being hemmed in, without options, without escape, without hope. Fear looks to the hills and it counts the enemy. It calculates, begins calculating the chance for, for survival. It measures the resources that we have against the enemy outside. And if our resources are not enough, fear sends up a, a flag. We hear threats around us don't we? Every day. The doctor breaks the news that we have cancer. The company warns of huge cutbacks. The project runs out of money. The plaintiff has the best lawyer in town. 
And these things can rattle us, but they do not destroy us, or at least not until we run out of options. But the moment it appears that we're hemmed in with no escape, like the servant seeing the enemy army, we're afraid. And sometimes we we try to convince ourselves that the enemy is not really there. That perhaps we, we need to be more positive, but every morning we awake to the same old threat. We're still surrounded. The last efforts have failed. We have no way out. Right then, Elisha prayed the most peculiar thing. Chapter 6, verse 17. Oh Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Strangely enough, Elisha was more worried about his servant than about the enemies he saw. The real problem was not what the servant had seen, but what the servant had not seen. So he prayed a a very different prayer. He prayed not for protection, for escape, but instead for a miracle of vision. He wanted his servant to see something else, something more than what he had already seen. And as he prayed, the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And this time, when he looked to the hills, he he saw not only the enemy's, the, the king's posse, but also the army of God encompassed by fire and ready for battle. Who were they? Where did they come from? The servant turned around to ask Elisha, and then he noticed that Elisha himself was surrounded by chariots of fire. No wonder the good prophet was so calm and collected. On that morning outside the city of Dothan, there were two realities not one, and Elisha saw them both. He saw that the hills were alive with his enemies, but he also saw another army that was already there, invisible to the servant, known but to God and to himself. He saw both worlds. Faith work is not to ignore the reality of our enemies lying in wait surrounding us. It's not to ignore the realities of things we face in this life. I've, I've met people who want to ignore the realities. <laughs> had a guy in uh, my first church I pastored. He was uh, uh, involved in the, in the charismatic movement there. And that's how he came to Christ. He had grown up in a very formal religion and came to a relationship with God. And, uh, but he, he, he was like this. I remember him <laughs> coming, coming to church. His arm was broken. He had in the cast. He goes, my arm's not broken. My arm's not broken. In Jesus' name, my arm's not broken. Well, the reality is his arm was broken, okay? His kid got the chicken pox. I confess she does not have chicken pox. She does not have chicken pox. My wife goes, what's those red dots all over her? <laughs> you know, I mean, those people, we, we want to ignore the reality of those things around us. That's not faith's really work. Faith's work is to remind us of another reality, even greater than that of the enemy. Faith sees that our enemies have surrounded us, but it also sees that God has surrounded our enemies, that those who are with us are more than those who are with them. God is with us. That's the promise I can give you. Faith does not speak things into existence. God is the one who speaks things into existence. 
Faith simply sees what is already in existence, though still unseen to those who live by sight alone. Faith sees a world that runs alongside this world and it lives according to what it sees in both worlds. Faith sees through the eyes of the soul. Real faith sees what the, it sees that the economy tanked or that the test came back positive or that the company is laying off people. Faith sees other things too. It sees that God can be trusted, that the poor own the kingdom, that the hungry may be full of the spirit, that those who mourn are loved, that those persecuted for righteousness sake are treated like rock stars in the alternate reality of the kingdom of God. Our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted right now today are rock stars in the kingdom. It looks like Satan, I always thought Satan was smart, but I'm getting to think he's not too smart. Because you know what persecution does? What's persecution do? Causes the church to grow like wildfire and spread like wildfire. Yet what's he doing? Still persecuting the church. Now, I know he wants to bring death and destruction and chaos and all the pain that he can into the lives of people, but he's missing the big picture. (laughs) Uh, Not too smart. The kingdom is flourishing. It's growing beyond our wildest imagination, especially in those countries where Christians are being persecuted. There's this thing called purification, too, that has taken place. It costs something to be a Christian in those places. It's the church getting together because they want to get together to worship the living God, regardless of what price they have to pay. What many of them would not pay to be in a service like this with hands lifted, talking about the praise going on around that throne in Revelation that we just plug into on Sunday mornings, singing worthy is the lamb that was slain. Faith sees this now. It sees that alternate reality. It imagines a world where race and intellect and money can't divide us, where love is unselfish and where sin is finally powerless. Faith sees the unseen, but the unseen is no less real because it requires faith to see it. One of my favorite devotional writers is Thomas Merton, and he reminds us that those who live only by what they can see live a life of despair. He has a book called Life and Holiness, and Merton says the first step to this life of faith is not to reject reason, but choose between two faiths. One, a human limited external faith in human society, and the other, a faith in what we cannot see, a faith that goes beyond all proofs, a faith that demands an interior revolution of one's whole self, a faith that demands a reorientation of one's existence. In the shift from seen to unseen, one chooses that second faith. And here's a way to think about what it looks like from moving from seen to unseen, what it feels like. So right now, if you would, would you close your right eye? Okay, you got, got your right eye closed? Now, if, you're, if your left eye is healthy, you can still see. And having one eye open does not prevent you from seeing, does it? You can still see. However... Uh, using only one eye, it's, it's harder to see things far away. 
Uh, you'll notice that, you notice, you notice it really when you look into the distance and you're trying to discern depth perception and all that. Uh, now keep your right eye closed. If you need to help keep it closed with holding it shut, that's fine too. But keep your right eye closed and raise your right hand in front of your, front of your face there. And keep looking straight ahead and notice, notice your right eye closed. You move that hand away. What happens? It, it goes out. Of, you can't see it any longer. Doesn't mean it's not there. It just moves out of your peripheral vision. How y'all doing? I'm doing fine. And you lose sight of Fairly, fairly quickly, having two eyes serves a couple purposes. One, the second eye brings dimension to the things that the first eye sees. It helps with depth perception, adding context and, and distance. The second eye also adds to your peripheral vision. Things that would otherwise be invisible to you are visible. Invisible not because they don't exist, but because you're not using your second eye to see them. Those who shift from seen to unseen have developed this second eye to see the kingdom of God. Now imagine we poked a hole in that wall over there and, and what if we saw an identically outfitted room on the other side of the wall? Same furniture, same decor, same layout, same people. In that room is another world running parallel to ours but many things there affect our world and even control things in our world. When we hear Jesus Christ speak in the Bible about the kingdom of God, we get the sense that there is this other world around us. Jesus isn't just talking about the sweet by and by someday. The kingdom of heaven is among us right now in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He initiated, he came to introduce what the kingdom looked like. We get the sense that there's this world around us right next door and most people don't see it. They can't see it because they don't have that eye of faith. However, this kingdom next door can be seen by people of faith and lived in by us. We could change every conversation we're having in this room so that it aligns with the ones in the other room, the kingdom room. No matter how old or young we are, we can have access to this kingdom. Don't think you have to be smarter to do so. In fact, last week, slave to child reminds us that Jesus asked us to become like children to see it. It takes a childlike faith to shift from seen to unseen. Our culture tends to treat those who only believe in what they see with their physical eyes as the smartest. Those who have the least faith in the unseen only having faith in what can be touched are esteemed in our culture as the most intelligent. But sooner or later, you have to make a leap of faith. And sometimes smart isn't always enough. There are plenty of smart and not so smart people who have no faith in the unseen. There are plenty of, of smart and no smart people who have just as much faith in the other world as they do the ground beneath their feet. But we need to pray as Bartimaeus, Jesus, son of David, I want to see. Faith sees that God can be trusted with what stresses and frustrates us and keeps us awake at night. Faith sees that God can be trusted for those things we don't understand. And we just can't figure out why it happened that way. What are the armies on your horizon? What are you afraid of? 
You know, when we see with our eyes of faith, we discover that we are never alone. We are never alone. Like disciples that were walking next to Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Remember that? It was the day after the crucifixion. They're going the wrong way. They're going to Emmaus instead of back to Jerusalem. But when our eyes are open, we recognize Jesus in the mundane places of life and our hearts burn within us. A reporter asked G.K. Chesterton, if the risen Christ suddenly appeared at this very moment and stood behind you, what would you do? And Chesterton said, he is. He is. When we see with our eyes of faith, it causes a sudden shift in our values. You see, eternity drives how we live now. It informs how we live now. It influences how we live now. We begin to prioritize things to the importance that they have in reality. We see that things of the spirit are the most essential in the world. When we see what is unseen, we don't just wait for heaven to come. We see what is unseen. We notice the, the ideals of heaven and we value them and we live by them now. And we begin to prioritize spiritual activities with our involvement in our use of time and money and talents for the unseen kingdom purposes. We, we attend and, and get involved in a ministry in a local church, which is the visible expression, by the way, of the kingdom of God. It's great that when we come to Christ, we belong to this universal kingdom that nobody really can see, but, but this place right here when we gather, it's a visible expression of the kingdom of God on this corner. So how do we move from seen to unseen? First of all, pray that prayer. Jesus, son of David, I, I want to see. Pray that prayer daily. Pray it before your meetings. Pray it before service. Pray it before your appointments. Pray it before your phone calls. Lord, help me to see what you're doing in this situation. Help me trust you with this situation. And learn new ways to talk about ordinary things. Instead of saying, well, you know, something happened. Why not say, hey, you know, the Lord allowed it. Instead of telling what you received, why not say, well, you know, God's provided. Speaking of the world in physical terms, whether it's scientific or humanistic language, it's only one way of describing what happens. Begin to practice using some other language. Language that acknowledges the other reality of the spiritual world. Uh, for our sake and our oldest daughter's sake, I'm grateful for a lady in the community, community Wesleyan Church in Newark, Ohio, who had eyes of faith so that she was sensitive to what was going on in the spiritual world. Her last name was Whaley, right? Linda? Her, her name was Linda Whaley. And she was able to see into that alternate reality of the delivery room where my wife was giving birth to her first child. And I served that church as minister of music, the Community Wesleyan Church in Newark, Ohio, as I was a, a student at Mount Vernon. It was that church we were involved in. Sharon had been in labor for 24 hours, and we had gone the Lamaze method, you know, no drugs. We're going to do this the natural way and practice breathing, and, you know, we did all that. So that's the way we were trying to have this baby. Sharon was in labor for 24 hours and Amy was, was in duress and, and at delivery I knew something was wrong by the way the doctor was barking orders and I was ushered 
out of the labor room and discovered that our newborn had suffered from meconium aspiration. She had gone several minutes after being born without breathing. Her APGAR test was two, right? Two point something out of 10, three, three out of 10, which is not very good. And at, at that very moment that my wife was giving birth, 6.30 p.m. on a Sunday evening, Linda Whaley sensed an impression from the Holy Spirit. She was given a sneak preview into the alternate reality of the kingdom of God. And the pastor was beginning the sermon and she was fighting with herself. Should I or should I not? I don't want to disturb the pastor. How rude of me to do that. And finally, she, she gave in and she stood and she said, Pastor, please forgive me for interrupting your sermon. But I really sense a strong impression that we need to pray for Sharon right now. No idea what was going on, by the way, in the human, in the flesh. So at this critical time in delivery... 6.33 p.m. on a Sunday evening, our church was on its knees praying for Sharon, praying for that delivery. Now, not realizing the seriousness of the situation, I, I went home to get to sleep. I was worn out. You know, having a baby's hard work. Oh, man, I was just worn out. So... I said, see you later, honey. I went home and crashed and the doctor came into Sharon's room with the news that Amy's respiration rate was very fast and shallow. She had been without oxygen for several minutes before being born and uh, she said, chances are Amy is going to have to be transported to Children's Hospital. She may not make it through the night and if she does make it, she'll probably have severe brain damage. Sharon couldn't get a hold of me and I was crash sleeping, trying to recover from that long labor and delivery I had. <laughs> but she called on people to pray. People who could sense this alternate reality with eyes of faith. So at 633, Amy's being born. The church is praying. We don't know they're praying. They don't know that Amy's, Sharon and Amy are in problems. She just said that the Holy Spirit impressed that this is what we should do. The next morning, the doctor came in and said, Mrs. Martin, I don't know if you're a woman of faith or not, but you have a miracle baby in the nursery. Everything is normal, but even more than normal, she's alert, her head's up, she's watching everything going on around her in the nursery. She's always been like that. <laughs> Growing up, Amy was placed in the gifted child program. She was always a happy-go-lucky child. Today, Amy is 41 and married. She has a master's in piano pedagogy. She's a music director at Mother Seton Catholic Church in Germantown, Maryland. She plans, directs, sings, plays the piano and organ several, for several services per week. Now, folks, I know it, it could go the other way. I'm not saying it always goes this way. And I don't know why it doesn't always go this way because our family has suffered Terrible tragedy also, heart-wrenching tragedy. But I've discovered in the midst of it all, God is with us. And more than that, I've discovered that God can be trusted. For our God is a good God. And he's a good God all the time. And so we may have this big box 
on the shelf above our fireplace that we just have to put those unanswered questions. That we have to put those things we just don't understand. That we have to take that pain and, and trust him with it. And yes, when we rejoice and things turn out like, like we like for it to turn out, we certainly give him the praise and the glory and the honor. May God continue to open our eyes. May he help us develop our spiritual faculties for seeing the unseen. Like the servant of Elisha, may God open our eyes to see that the hills are on fire with the presence of God. Like those disciples on the road to Emmaus, we've been, we, we, we've been kept from seeing the reality of another world. And Jesus opened their eyes. May Christ open our eyes today. May we begin to see here on earth what everyone will see in heaven. That's the Lord's prayer, isn't it? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How? Give us today our daily bread. <laughs> forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. As we walk with our Savior, his desire is to develop within us 2020 vision for the spiritual realm. And through the corrective lenses of the Holy Spirit, help us to see his priorities, to help us to have the mind of Christ. Has anyone here this morning not yet given the Holy Spirit unrestricted access to every area of your lives? I trust you make that, that decision today. He wants you to be more than just a servant. He wants you to be his child. He wants to fill you with his presence. Do you trust him enough? Say, here I am, Lord, all of me. Every room, every nook, every cranny, every closet. But I give you access. Because all he, he, did, he doesn't want to rain on your party. <laughs> All he wants is to protect us and provide for us and to do what Jesus said, to give us an abundant life in him. Father, thank you for your word to us. Lord, would you continue to open our eyes as we surrender ourselves to you? It's so easy in a world that places all the emphasis on what we can see, touch, hear, smell, with our physical senses that we sometimes neglect that there is, a, there is a real world. It's called the kingdom of God. Give us eyes to see. Help us not to be ashamed. Our culture makes it look like people that have faith are ignorant. But Lord, we have faith in a reality that just can't be seen by some folks. Lord, by your spirit, make us one with each other, one in ministry to the world until Christ comes in final victory. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <laughs>